The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. What's up, Mile High, and welcome back to Sharing Our Stories. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Slim, along with Tomas Hernandez of Tribe Recovery Homes. And if you're just tuning in, this is Sharing Our Stories, and this program is all about addiction and recovery. Each week, we bring in somebody to share in their story of how they went through addiction and how they found their recovery and where they are in their life. And we do this with the hope that by sharing these stories, um, we can influence somebody out there who might be suffering to help them find their recovery. Um, there are a lot of pathways to recovery. There's just not one way to do it. Um, there's not one right way. There's a lot of right ways to do it. And we hope that we can influence somebody in the mile high to find their recovery because <clears throat> if we can just help one person reach the recovery that they've been looking for, that they've been, that they've been hoping for, well, then we've achieved our goal here on sharing our story. So thank you for checking in. Tomas, it is always a pleasure to be by your side, man. Absolutely, man. Good to see you. Um, tell everybody about the amazing Tribe Recovery Homes. <laughs> we can get this going. Now we got the timer going. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, Tribe Recovery Homes, um, it was established in 2017, 2018, the end of 2018. Basically, it was 27 guys at New Construction that were in recovery and we lived together, and we just trying to figure it out. Um, started with like four guys, made it up to 27, then we built it up to about eight houses, nine houses, and turned it nonprofit. Um, got blessed with what's great is we have a stout streeter in our, in our studio today. Um, a lot of stout streeters helped me start this program, mainly uh, Osvaldo Cabral, my clinical director, and we decided to take it one step further, which that means is we took my judicial focused sober living model put medicaid behind it with mental health and and recovery and put together a program um we're a grassroots program we're downtown aurora area and boulder um and now las vegas awesome man yeah so our motto is you uh drink too much you do too many drugs you're gonna end up with a ticket we're usually the last house on the block we also work with a lot of different uh, people out there, different different organizations, Second Chance Center, Hazelbrook. Um, it it Stout takes Street. a village. Stout Street is a huge one. Um, the Pier. There's the list. The list goes on and on. Aurora Sober Living. There's a lot of different people that are out there that we work with. If we're not a fit, but if you want to see if you're a fit, go ahead and drop an application if you're looking for somewhere to go at www.tribrecoveryhomes.com you'll see a thing that says apply here fill out that paperwork and one of our people will call you back and see what we need to do if you got court cases and you're just doing an outpatient you can come to us for outpatient we can go ahead and do an outpatient iop you can get a navigator on that if you're coming from home and you still need recovery also the the, the downtown office action center the track center after six o'clock, check the schedule. Usually we have a 12-step meeting. So 12-step groups come in and they open up for people in public. That's free. 
Come and check out that back building and, and come get some recovery. Um, if you have any more questions, call us at 720-608-7423. That's 720-60-TRIBE. 720-60-TRIBE. And we got a lot of ways you can watch this program live on Facebook. We're on YouTube. We're on the radio. And if you're... If you're listening, you're watching, and you're wondering, how do I get started? Like he said, use that phone number. Um, if you're a friend or a family member of somebody who's in addiction and, and you want to learn more about what they're going through, you're at the right show. And if you want to help them find a pathway to their recovery, you can give them these numbers and you can give them this information. You can be as simple as tell them, hey, pick up the phone and Google AA, Google NA. Give a call to Tribe Recovery Homes. There's so many options out there. It all requires you have to want it. That's where it starts is you have to want your recovery. And we're all about recovery here. And, and, and that's what's so great about this program. And today we've got an awesome guest. His name is Roberto Valdez from Fort Lupton. My man, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so much. Um, this program, oh man, it's, it's, it's a blessing to have you here. It's a, it's a blessing to have you with us, and it's a blessing for you to be in recovery. And, and right off the bat, just because of that, I love you, man. You got mm-hmm. nothing but love coming from me. And um, I want to thank you for coming in to share. And this program is yours. We're going to turn this over to you. And it's, it's your time to share and, and let the folks listening and watch, watching know that recovery happens and that addiction ain't pretty and that we, we do struggle and... Uh, we do recover. So, mile high, we're going to turn this over to Roberto Valdez from Fort Lupton. He is our guest today on sharing our stories. And thank you so much for being here, my friend. Right on. Thank you for having me. And um, first things first, I just want to open up in prayer. Um, God saved my life. He revealed himself to me um, spiritually. And I just want to give thanks where thanks is due. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today, Father God. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, Lord, that you give us what we don't deserve, Lord. We, we don't deserve uh, another chance. We don't deserve um, getting out of jail. We don't deserve wives and families, Lord, but you give us mercy, and your mercy is great. Your mercy is unending. Your mercy is, is, is new every day. And, Father God, I pray for the, the moms that are listening, the, 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 the dope addicts that are listening today, Father God, that, that you touch their lives, Father God, that, that you open their ears, Father God, and you give them that, that saw conversion, Father God, where they just give their life unto you, Father, and, and that they, um, they find recovery, they find healing, they find true life in you, Lord. And um, we just thank you for these men that are before me today. It is by divine appointment that we are all here. We could have not have planned it out. If, if someone would have told us this is where we would be at this moment, we probably would have laughed when we were in our running and gunning in our addiction. So, Father God, I thank you for these men that are before me, and I just pray, Father, that you just continue to grow us up to be um, faithful men. So we just love you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just want to give a special shout out to my, my baby back rib, my wife, Mariana. Um, without God bringing her into my life, I wouldn't be here right now today. Um, she has the privilege to work for Tribe Recovery and um, just a beautiful miracle that the Lord has, has given me a beautiful wife. Um, she's not perfect. She's a little bit crazy, but she loves me and she is faithful. Um, I just want to thank you, my wife, for your, your goodness and your kindness. Um, thank you for my beautiful children, um, Jasmine, Eva, Nemo. Um, through my addiction and through my selfishness, I put my kids through a lot. 
And I thank you for never giving up on me and always loving me. Praise God for uh, my son, EJ, and my daughter, Liliana, uh, two new beautiful gifts of, of children that the Lord has given me the privilege to, to raise and just show them a, a good father, a clean, sober father. Never thought I'd have more kids or um, be a faithful father, faithful husband for that matter. Um, thank you for my family that never gave up on me, who uh, put up with all my crap. Thank you for my sister and my brother who took care of my kids as mother and father to my kids, even to this day when I couldn't. So I thank you for that. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for everyone who um, poured into my life, poured into my recovery and was patient with me through it all. All right, so I'm here to share my story and um, um, just, just really thankful. It's a miracle that I'm not locked up in jail. It's a miracle that I'm not dope sick or high right now. Um, so I'm gonna get it started. So one of the earliest memories that I ever had was, I don't even know if it was real. I don't know if it was just me just thinking things, but I remember about when I was three years old, laying in my bunk bed and it was like dark in my room. There was the nightlight and my dad came in the room and he says, I'm leaving. And I told him, I told him, dad, don't go, you know, dad, don't go. And he said, I have to go. And, um, and my dad left at a really young age. And like, I always felt kind of like if it was my fault, you know, um, and it hurt me because he had a family, he had three sons and, and, and we had everything we needed and, and he left my mom and I kind of felt like if it was my fault. Um, and that was like one of the earliest memories that, that I could remember and, and it was hard on me. Um, my, my mom raising me growing up, I, man, I was a mama's boy, baby, baby boy. And, and I loved my mom. My mom was loving, kind, caring. My mom can cook. She was such a hard worker and she always, she always put her kids first and not only her kids, but, but um, her husband. And when I was about four, she got with my stepdad. His name was Alfred. And, and like, I, I, need, I wanted a dad, right? And my mom got a, got a husband. He was my stepdad. It was, it was, um, it was, uh, he was a good dude. He, he didn't teach me the right way. He taught me a lot of good things. He taught me to be respectful. He taught me to be uh, respectful. He taught me to be a hard worker. Um, but he also taught me a lot of negative things as well. He taught me um, to like be a womanizer. Um, he had a really bad drinking problem, um, uh, drug addiction. And, um, but he showed me to take care of my family, to take care of his family. So I thought by portrayal of what I saw my parents do, that the dad went to work, paid the bills, and he came home and it was free reign for him to do whatever he wanted to do, right? Mom stayed home, she cooked, she cleaned, she take care of the family, and it, it was like her job never ended. And um, I just thought that that's what a faithful father was and a faithful mother was, right? And uh, every, every moment in between, it was you know smoking weed and on the weekends and sometimes during the week, it was partying it up, right? Family get-togethers. Tomas, you know, you got a big Mexican family. Shoot, there's always a party going on, right? Non-stop. And it, it just didn't involve the, the tios and the tias and the adults. Man, the kids got into it too. 
when all the cousins got together, we we gigged. Even when we were five, nine, you know. (laughs) I remember when I was a a young kid, um, like five years old, right? They they asked young kids, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? And I told everybody, I want to be like my Uncle Gabby because he's always happy. My Uncle Gabby was a drunk. He was like always lit, faded. But I wanted to be like him because he was always happy. He always had a good time. That's what I saw, right? Um, and I just like, I want to crash out with my, my buddy, Jeff, my best friend. This is five years old. This is what I wanted. I didn't want to be a fireman. I didn't want to be a, a police officer. I wanted to, to, to party it up because this is what I saw, right? This is what I grew up with. Um, around the age of five, um, I was, uh, I was uh, molested as a young, children, a, a young child um, by one of my family members. And um, even with that, like, I kind of felt like if it was, like if there was something wrong with me or there was something that I did wrong, Right. And it was just like a situation that happened. And I think it's so important. Um, just want to encourage um, you mothers and fathers out there. It's so important for us to be good role models, not only mother and fathers, brothers, sisters, cousins, uncles, um, men and women in, in recovery to be a good role model to these children, because this is what they look up to. Right. If if I'm cussing and 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 um being a pervert in front of my my sons then they're gonna grow up thinking that that's okay and that's how they're gonna treat their wives and that's kind of like what i grew up seeing my stepdad do so um so i got molested as a a young child and so and and i'm pretty sure a lot of people grew up with this right go into uncle's bathroom or something and the porno mags are right there right and it's not like they locked them up they didn't hide them um, so like at a very young age, I was dabbling in porn and it was it like developed into a, a uncontrollable fire of like perversion of, of, um, lust that, that, um, I knew was inappropriate, but it was like, I, it got to the point to where I couldn't control it. And, um, by the, so, so I grew up with my mom and dad just like smoking weed all the time, getting high all the time. Every time they were in the car with us kids in the car, they were, you know, lighting up roaches all up in the ashtray, big old box of weed next to stepdad's chair. Right. And um, so by the age of nine, my brother. So me and my two brothers, we, we did everything together. We shared a room together. I got all their hand me downs. We got in trouble together. And so at the age of nine, my brother's like, hey, we're going to get high. You're getting high, too. And like they kind of made me get high with them. Um, and um, so I smoked weed for the, for the first time at the age of nine, and it was, it was there. It was accessible. It was available, and it was okay. It, my parents didn't say that it was okay, but it was portrayed that, hey, it's not a big deal, right? So by the age of 11, I was addicted to marijuana. By the age of 12, I was smoking weed with my parents, I was selling them sacks. I was, I was, um, um, like I, I think I started really getting heavy into weed. I think because, so it, I didn't have a lot of self-confidence in myself. I didn't believe in myself. I, I felt less than, and when I smoked weed, it, it made me feel 
stronger. It made me feel um, more confident. And, and then like the influence that it brought with the people that I was hanging around, it, um, it like fueled it because I wanted that, that confidence. I wanted that courage and I wanted that surrounding of, of people to, because I didn't, I didn't have it in myself. And so, so by the age of, of 11, 12, you know, just um, um, the small town that we grew up in and the friends that, that we had, drugs were everywhere. Drugs were everywhere. Our family was doing it. We were partying all the time. Everyone was getting high. All of our parents were getting high. And um, the small town that we grew up in, uh, so we just got connected with friends and, and friends, they had weight. They had a lot of drugs and, and they fronted us drugs. And, and um, um, one thing that I do regret, like at that young age is, is uh, leading a lot of young kids astray, you know, feeding them sacks, you know, um, getting them high for their first time, um, influencing. I had a, even though like I'm, I'm a small dude, I had a high influence on people. And I encouraged some young kids to do some, some really bad things. I encouraged and manipulated like some young girls to, to do some really inappropriate things, you know, that I regret now. Um, but it was just like the lifestyle that we grew up in. And I think a lot had to do with it, a lot had to do with that lifestyle was the influence of the culture, right? Um, our, our parents were showing us, hey, it's okay to drink. Hey, it's okay to smoke weed. Um, it's okay for you to get high right now, you know? Um, and like the influence, the culture of the music, man, I grew up listening to, to um, Wu-Tang Clan. I grew up listening to Old Dirty, Triple um, Six um, Mafia, you know, Brother Lynch. Mm-hmm. And it, it talks about really demonic things, yeah. you know? Um, it talks about eating a dead woman's body. It talks about eating dead babies, you know? Triple Six Mafia is it's talking about Six 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 Mafia. It's it's a a, a gang that represents um, demonic things, and I welcomed it. I, I ingested it. I loved it. I wanted to be like them. I wanted to do the things they they were doing. I wanted to to um, get, have a, a a multiple amount of women and and a big old pocket full of money and and drugs and partying all the time. This is what the the culture of of um, my youth. Was, was portraying. And now, now I just realized it, it was just a, a huge lie. It was a, a trap of the enemy. So um, by the age of 13, I was already addicted to coke. We were smoking ounces and ounces on a, on a, a, a consistent basis. I was, I was um, just a straight criminal mindset, you know? Um, like I wanted to be what, the um, rap stars and the, the, the gangster rap stars portrayed as like this thug, this gangster. But in all reality, I was just um, trying to be something that I really wasn't. And um, yeah, so, so I was just like totally dis- disobedient, total rebellion. Um, I started getting in trouble with the law from the time I was 13 and I barely got off probation, probably like, um, by the time I was 28. So I was um, lying to the courts, lying to the, to the, to the probation officers, just um, really disrespectful and disobedient and like had a, a crazy criminal mindset, liar, cheater, adulterer, you name it. Um, so, 
So by age 16, it was like full-blown addiction. But the full-blown addiction, it didn't, it didn't really hit that it was a problem for me at that moment. It was just, this is just what we do. This is just how we live. And this is just who we are. So by the age 16, I was addicted to drugs, pornography, an unhealthy lifestyle. And I got into a relationship with um, my three older kids' mom. And um, she was 15 when we first got together. I was 17. And we were doing adult things. We were kids doing adult things. We were having sex. And, and um, um, she moved in with me by the time I was like, when she was 15 years old, she was living in my house. I was 17 years old. And um, by the time she turned 16, we had our first daughter, Jasmine. And, and I, I was working. So, so remember, I had that, that portrayal of, all right, a husband goes to work. He pays the bills. End of story. I'm checked out after that. The mom stays home, takes care of the kids, takes care of the husband. That's her job, right? So this is what I expected from my kid's mom, a, a kid. She was a child. I expected a child to be a mom. She didn't know how to be a mom. She was never raised to be a mother. She had a horrible upbringing. Um, you didn't know how to be a dad. I didn't know how to be a dad. I thought being a dad was just going and paying the bills. And, and um, our relationship um, was, was um, you know, we, had, we, loved, we loved each other. We cared for each other. And we had this, this young, precious baby in the picture now. And... And our relationship was just turmoil. And I wasn't being a good, faithful husband. She wasn't, she didn't know how to be a wife. I was just going to work, getting high, selling drugs, going and partying, and, and just, just doing what I wanted to do, right? And you, you stay home, you take care of the kids. And at the same time, I was feeding her addiction at the same time, right? She was doing the same thing I was doing. And it just led to horrible turmoil, heartache, breakup after breakup, um, and it was just, um, a really sad and desperate situation. And, um, so we were in and out of relationship. I'm in and out of jail. I would go to jail and, and stay there for like two or three months at a time. And every time I go to jail, you know, you're in lockdown, you ain't got nothing else to do. I pick up the good book. I pick up the Bible and I start reading it. And man, I don't believe these stories. I don't believe what it says in here. Why would a God do this? Why would a God do that? This isn't true. And I would discount it. But when I was in those desperate situations, those desperate times, I'd be crying out to God, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. And um, so I was in and out of jail. So by that time, uh, a couple years later, um, I had my, uh, my second daughter, Eva. And so Eva came into the picture. And by that time, I was addicted to meth, addicted to opioids, just, just straight addicted Right. And by that time, I started understanding what um, addiction was and um, knew, knowing that I had a serious problem. Um, one of my really good buddies that I grew up with, like, I, I love this dude. Like, we, we shared some really cool, intimate times together that um, we encouraged each other, even through some dark times. And we got high together a lot, you know. He, uh, he, I, I didn't have no drugs. I didn't have no meth on me. And we were at work together. And he's like, hey, I have, I have um, some oxys. He's like, but I don't think you should take them. He said, it's not, he said, you'll get addicted. I don't want you to take them. 
And I was like, nah, nah, just give them to me. Just give them to me. He's like, nah, I really don't want you to have them because, because I, don't want it, I don't want you to get addicted to them. And he gave them to me. But because he loved me, because he cared about me, he didn't want to give me something that he knew that was going to mess me up. So um, I got heavy, heavy addicted to opioids. Um, I had my second daughter um, turmoil with my kids' mom again, knowing that I needed to do something different, knowing that I needed to change. Um, having the second daughter didn't change nothing. I was still um, in my selfishness, in my addiction, wanting to do what I wanted to do. Um, and I would go through those, those um, periods of correction, right? The Lord sent me to jail. He'd get me, hem- I'd get myself hemmed up for the things that I'm doing. But the Bible says in Hebrews that the Lord corrects those he loves. And I would go to jail. I would get in his word. And little by little, like I started believing. I started receiving what, what was in the word. And I started trusting in God. Um, growing up when I was a young kid, I saw my, my great grandma, Nora, faithful woman of God, never heard her cuss, never heard her raise her voice, always giving to the church. She'd, she'd get down on her knees like three times a day just in prayer, just a beautiful woman of God. And, and I knew that's, that's the representation I saw of, of a, a godly person. And um, so uh, in and out of jail, and when I was in jail, I came across this psalm. Um, and so when you're in jail and you're dope sick, man, that's, that's a hard time. That's, that's like one of the worst things to do. You're, you're just, your body's just craving drugs and you're sick, you're hurt, you're broken. You don't know how you're going to get out. You don't know um, what the, the next alternative is. And, and I came across this, this scripture, um, Psalms 40. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and will be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. So when I came across that scripture, like that, I wanted it. I didn't have it yet, but that's what I wanted. And um, so, so a a little, bo- a little while later, I have my two daughters, right? I'm, I'm still not being a faithful husband. I'm still not being a, a good dad. I love my kids. I got this horrible addiction. And, and um, somebody called social services on, on our family. So, so social services comes to our door, um, starts interviewing my, my kids' mom, starts interviewing my kids. And they call and they want my wife to go for a, a UA. So my horrible leadership as a husband, I tell her, all right, we're going to fake that UA because we know you're hot. We know you're all methed out. We're going to fake that UA. So we go to the UA place. I get her all set up to um, throw like fake pee inside the cup and she gets caught doing it. She gets caught falsifying UA for social services. Three days later, social services come to our door with um, police officers and um, they, they tell us, hey, we're taking your kids. We're taking your kids away. And I just remember my kids' mom just calling me so hysterical. They're here. They're taking our kids. They're taking our kids. And, and um, I, I race back to the house. And, and, um, and the cops are like, hey, we're, we're taking them. We'd get their stuff together. Pack them a bag. And um, 
that was one of the hardest things that I ever had to do was walk my two beautiful, precious daughters. Um, Jasmine was, was five and Eva, Jasmine was four and I think Eva was two. Walking them to the social services car and just telling them, hey, you got to go, you know, you can't be here no more. And um, so when a drug addict is in like horrible turmoil in their life, the thing we know what to do is turn to is, is more drugs. This is what eases the pain. This is what, what um, will, will fix the situation. I, I didn't know what um, recovery was. I didn't know that there was a hope. I didn't really know of the good news of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And um, so uh, a couple months later, um, in that, uh, I break up with my kids' mom. I get a phone call one night. Hey, Rachel's in the hospital. Um, she got stabbed in the arm. I get to the hospital. She's in ICU. She got stabbed like 28 times, paralyzed in her, in her left arm, um, and almost died, right? So, like, I take her back home a month later. She was in, recover- in uh, the ICU for a month. Take her home and still, like, full-blown in my addiction. I'm trying to take care of a broken woman who's paralyzed, and I'm... I'm taking her pills. I'm, I'm taking her, her pain medication, you know, that she needs. And, um, I, you know, I, I did what I could for a month and then we split up again. And um, it, it was, uh, well, well, during that time when, when my, uh, this is a very important part, during that time when I was taking care of Rachel, I was dope sick. We were broken. We had our kids taken away. We were lost. And my Auntie Stella comes through and she, she says, get up, get up. I'm taking you to church. And uh, with all the strength that I had, I got up and I went to church with her and, and um, I gave my life to Jesus that day. I, I accepted him. I surrendered my life to him. And um, there's a, a beautiful story of in the Bible that the, a paralyzed man his friends took him to the feet of Jesus because he couldn't walk. He couldn't get there. He couldn't get there on his own, but he needed healing. He needed a savior. And his friends took him because they loved him and they cared about him that much. And my auntie loved me and cared for me to take me to the feet of, of, of Jesus. And um, so that day I gave my life to the Lord, but I didn't change overnight. Right. So I struggled. I struggled for another three years. When, we give our lives to the Lord, we get the, the, the Holy Spirit's indwelt in us. So what the crazy thing is like, I start, I stopped crave. I stopped wanting to do the things that I used to do. It wasn't exciting me no more. I didn't have interest in it no more. Uh, you know, before that I was, I had murder in my heart. I was, I was perversion. I was a, an adulterer, liar. Um, just, just you name it. And, and I gave my life to Christ and that the things of this world, like I started not wanting, but they were, they were like so ingrained in who I was and they were a part of me that it was just so hard to change. So um, I, I tried, I tried and tried and, and I just kept stumbling. I'd do good. I'd go to jail, get out, stumble. And so I got back with my kid's mom. This, this was like over and over and over, right? And um, it's like, insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. We got back together and she got pregnant with um, my son, Heronimo. So when my son, Heronimo, was born, man, I tried to be a good dad. I tried to kick meth. 
Um, you know, I was like, all right, I'm not going to smoke no more meth. I'm just going to smoke weed. No big deal. But I would keep relapsing back to meth. And it was the night before his, his first birthday. Um, I had really bad jealousy issues, right? My kids' mom would be all up on her phone. And, and, and um, we were super high off meth. And I, I took her phone away. She came at me. And we, we were fighting, right? And screaming at the top of her lungs, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to call the cops. And we were in this like apartment. It was like crazy miracle that the cops didn't call, get called and us go to jail. And that was what, what was running through my head. The cops are going to come. They're going to take my son. And I'm going to lose another kid to, to the system, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so something in my head was telling me, like a demonic spirit was telling me, shut her up. Shut her up. So I had my hand over her mouth trying to shut her up. Her mouth was all bloody. She was all bruised up, you know, because we were fighting. And, and then that demonic spirit, kill her, kill her. So I had my hands around her throat, choking the life out of her, right? And I look over to my left and my son, one years old in his baby bouncer, tears streaming down his face, just crying. And I heard, I heard my son say, my son couldn't talk. He was one years old. But I heard him say, don't do it, dad. Don't let the devil win. And like, boom, my eyes were open and I was seeing what I was doing. And it scared me. Like, this is a, the woman that I love. This is the, a woman that birthed three of my children. And I'm going to kill her. And like, I, I just, I got up and I was afraid. And I'm like, this isn't who I am. This isn't what God created me to be. And, and after that, we split up. We split up. I went to my cousins. And about three months later, I finally made that decision to surrender, um, to become honest. I was on probation. Probation officer was like, hey, last chance. One more failed UA, you're going to prison. You're going to DOC for a minimum of six years. And, so, and I didn't know how to really to get clean. I said, well, I, I talked to my counselor about it. What do I do? How do I get clean? How do I get sober? This is who I really am. This is what I've been telling you, which is totally face and fake and false. I've been falsifying you ways. I've been giving you a big story. Like I give everyone a big story for, for you know, all the other times that I was in drug counseling, all the other times that I was um, locked up. And she tells me, you need intensive treatment. And she recommended Stout Street. And um, so... I asked my, my brother and my sister that took custody of my two daughters. So they had already been in um, my brother and my sister, Freddie and Joy's custody um, for about four, three years when my son was born. And um, I asked them if they would take my son. I need to get my life right. I, I, I can't be a dad. Her, their mom was just like totally off the deep end. She couldn't take care of them. And they took care of my son. I went to treatment and... Treatment was, was um, it wasn't easy. It was, it was hard, but it was, uh, it was a beautiful opportunity for me to get a foundation, for me to learn how to live life sober. Um, the rules and regulations, I grew up with a lot of rules and regulations from my stepdad. We got in trouble all the time. We got punishment all the time. Um, so I, it wasn't the, the punishment and the rules and regulations that was the hard part. The hard part was changing character. I was a liar. I was a cheater. I was a manipulator. And, and to change that character, 
is is um, really difficult. And it's like it's like telling a fish, hey, come out of the water. Now you got to walk on land and breathe fresh air. It's like I really don't know how. Um, this is totally out of my element. And it was cool just to have that foundation to go to Stout Street and to um, to learn how to live life sober. And I find finally found out that you can live life happy sober, that I don't need drugs to, to be happy, that I can be a, um, a responsible parent, that I can be a uh, functional member of society. And at that time too, I started developing my roots in, um, in God, um, reading his word and um, going to church and um, um, grateful for the uh, ministers that go to Stout Street Thursday, Sunday night, Darcy and uh, Pastor Stan, who, who always went, always ministered and always encouraged us. Um, so I got out of Stout Street and I was walking faithfully with God. Like I was, I, I didn't do certain things. I didn't go certain places. Um, the Lord healed me from, um, from cussing, from, he was, he was continually doing a healing over um, the, um, the issue of, of lust and, and um, I was just happy with life. I was serving God and I was being a good father to my kids, you know, the best father that, that I knew how to be at that moment. And, and um, so for four years, I'm walking faithful, faithful with the Lord. I got a good job. Shout out to uh, Springback Mattress Recycling, um, tearing down mattresses, building up lives. Christopher Conway, the real Christopher Conway, he calls himself. Um, I, I love you. I'm, I'm so grateful for you. Um, thank you for being a mentor. Thank you for teaching me how to be a leader. Um, he really poured into me and gave me responsibility and gave me the ability to grow as a leader. I didn't believe in myself, but he gave me the opportunity to do it. And, um, and he spoke life into me, Right. Um, I, I just encourage you leaders to speak life into those you're bringing up. Encourage them, give them the opportunity and, and pour into them. So, so I'm walking with the Lord. I got a good job. I finally got my bills taken care of. I'm not on probation. And um, my kids' mom comes back into the picture. So what do I do? Got back with her. I, I want to help her. I want to I wanna fix her. I want to save her. And I, I told her, do what I do. You want to come roll with me? You got to do what I do. But she didn't know how to do what I do. She wasn't ready to do what I do, right? Um, it's not what she wanted to do in all reality. A part of her does want um, healing and recovery, but maybe she just wasn't ready for it. So we got back together and... and um, she, we started being intimate again, right? Sexually. And I knew that as a man of God, I have to be married, right? To, to have a wife. I have to, I shouldn't be um, having promiscuous sex with just whoever I want, or even with my girlfriend for that matter. And um, she knew that that was heavy on my heart and she pulled away and she said, no, I don't want to have sex no more because I don't want to stumble you. And so I took my eyes off of God put them back on her, right? And then when she pulled her love away, I had that missing part in me again, which only was fulfilled through, through my relationship with God. And I had a hole again. I was empty again. So what do we do when we're empty? 
and we have that hole in that void, we, I filled it with drugs again, right? So I stumbled in drugs. I stumbled back in addiction. I, um, I, I got clean about six, six months later. Um, my, my sister died in an overdose, like right before. Um, I, I guess I didn't get clean. So my sister, um, my oldest sister, really beautiful, um, kind, caring person. All of our family has been really riddled with drug addiction. She died of a fentanyl overdose about, about four years ago. Um, but even that didn't stop me from my addiction, you know. Um, I, I went drug-seeking, med-seeking. I went to the doctors. I need help. I need this, this, and that. And they put me on Suboxone. So for two years, I was addicted to Suboxone or on Suboxone. And it was just like justification, justification of my drug use. And um, so I was on Suboxone for about two years. And then, so by this time, I'm about 34. I'm, I'm 38 right now. And at this time, it was like, I, I'm done. I don't need drugs to live life. I don't need Suboxone to, to fulfill my life. I don't need it. I was one foot in with, with God and at the same time taking subs and it was hindering my walk with God is what it was doing. I wasn't walking in my full potential that God had called me to. So I got off the, the subs and it threw me into a relapse. I'm, I'm so, it, it's crazy how life lines up, how the moments that we're in, it was, we were made for that time, that purpose, that moment, right? I went into a relapse. I went back to the hood. I went back to the homies. And when I was in the, the dope house with all the people that I grew up with, I couldn't stop preaching the good news. I was pouring out Jesus Christ on lost and broken family members of mine, telling them you can do it. You can get it right. You can have life. You need to get off the drugs while well, I'm over there getting high. But the Lord even used that broken, ugly, nasty situation that I was in for his glory because he was speaking life into people. And that scripture that I shared about walking through the muck and the mire while I was going through this time, man, the cops were following me. Um, um, I think it's, it's demonic and it's a, it's, a, it's a spiritual and physical combined. So the demons use how the cops follow you to as as you're opening that door of fear and also some of the some of the cops are honestly in con control or the the demons are in control of them and um so i was being followed right i was being chased so i'm literally dipped out from my hotel walking through the muck in the mire crying out to god and during that time god showed me i never left you i'm here for you i'm with you he led me what was really cool to a young man 18 years old. It was like I was looking in the mirror of my 18-year-old self. He had his baby in the car seat um, saying he, he needed to go get weed and drugs. And, and, I, and I, I waved him down. I need help. I need you to get me to where I need to go. But God led me to this young man to give him the message of the good news, even in my ugliness, even in my brokenness. I went up to his apartment and I ministered to this young man high as a kite. For two hours, we just listened to praise and worship, Christian rap. I told him about the good news. I was reading scripture to him. And like, I was, I was scared when I went. I was running from these demons that were oppressing me. And God led me to this man that needed to hear the good news. 
And I left feeling refreshed. I wasn't afraid anymore. I was doing what God had called me to do. And, and I left. And then I ran into this other crazy dude who was even crazier. He's like, hey, homie, you need a ride. He was twacked out. He was jacked up. And he started telling me the same thing that I was going through. He's like, yeah, they've been following me too. I pulled out my, my nine and I booked on them. And, and he, he, went, he, he picked me up. He dropped me off at my hotel. And even in his like crazy um, drug-raged addiction, before he left, he's like, here, homie, here. He gave me this little Bible. He's like, here, you need this. And it was God telling me, I never left you. I never forsake you. And I was telling the young man about the word of God, how powerful the word of God. He needs to get him a Bible. I told him, I'll be back. I'll bring you one. And at that very moment, not even an hour later, I knocked at that young man's door and gave him the Bible that the dolphin gave me, that the crazy drug enraged addict gave me. It was like God saying, I, I, I made a way here. Here's his Bible. Go take it to him. He needs it. And I took it to him and it was just beautiful. It was beautiful. So I had this bright idea a couple weeks later. I need to get clean. I need to get sober. So I'm going to go um, to a hotel room up in the mountains all by myself. Oh, yeah. And just in case, I'm going to take a little bit of dope because I'm going to be coming down. Right. So I take a little bit of dope with me up in the mountains in Estes Park outside of town. And the demons had me trapped. Um, before, like a week before that, I was rolling with one of my homies. And I want to encourage you, um, mothers, brothers, sisters that have people that are addicted that say, I've seen demonic things. I'm hearing voices. Do not discount them. Don't discount them. It's real. It's true. There's uh, the enemies out there and he wants to steal, kill and destroy and, and he's speaking to your children. He's speaking to uh, the, the demons are just um, tormenting people. And I was speaking to my friend that I grew up with. And everyone's like, this dude's crazy. This dude's off his rocker. He lost it. And I started talking to him. What do you see? What do you hear? And he started telling me even before he welcomed this demonic presence in his life that speaks to him. When he was a young kid, he saw the watchers at his dad's dope spot. Um, that, how they protected that area how his dad welcomed them and how um, this new demonic presence that was attached to him kept him in check, kept him in line from doing things that, from doing things that probably could lead him to salvation, probably could lead him to healing, right? And that demonic spirit attached to me. I was in this hotel room up in Essence Park talking to someone I felt like was a family member. Just like, and, and it was, oh, it was crazy. And then the demons started like wanting to kill me. And the, I barricaded the door. They were trying to get in the house, um, running back and forth. They were turning on and off the lights. I would turn it on. They would turn it off. I was waiting for my brother to come pick me up. They would turn it off. I opened up my phone. Nothing, I couldn't call nothing. I couldn't call out nothing. I look out the door and there was these two devil demonic hell, hellhounds. Um, like a tan, big, like a wolf, probably bigger than a wolf, posted up outside my hotel cabin, like like down really, really low, just what, waiting, like not allowing me to leave. I couldn't call no one, couldn't call out. I called 911. The cops came, paramedics came. They're like, are you okay? I said, no, I'm not okay. Someone's trying to get in my, my, my place. They're trying to come get me. They're trying to kill me. They, they looked around, oh, no one's out here. There's no footprints. Are you all right? 
No, I'm not all right. Okay, we'll see you later. The cops left me there. It, it like tripped me out. I couldn't call out. The cops left. The same things were happening. I dialed a number that I didn't even know whose number it was, but it was just like on a call list. All my contacts were erased. I call this number and it's a buddy of mine, a man of God, his wife. And she answered the phone like at four in the morning. And she just started encouraging me in God. The Lord loves you. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. Start singing, start praising. And I praised my way out of it. My Pastor Lucas, I'm, I'm thankful for Pastor Lucas that, um, Pastor, you uh, encouraged me to grow. You've given me the opportunity to grow, um, to teach. And, and Pastor Lucas says, when in doubt, praise your way out. And I praised my way out. And my brother came through. I told my brother about what had happened. And he's like, nah, you're crazy, bro. His wife, nah, you're crazy. These are godly people. These are Christians that read their Bible where it says in the Bible that there's demonic spirits, that, that there's demons oppressing people, that people are controlled by demons. And they're like, nah, you're tripping. You're just high. So um, I have the privilege to go back to Stout Street now, right? And um, I share a um, shout out to all my brothers and sisters in recovery in Stout Street. Keep your head up. If I can do it, you can do it. Um, don't do it without God. Um, keep, your, keep your faith in the Lord. Um, I talked to the people at Stout Street and I asked them, or I, I don't ask them, I shared my testimony with them on what happened. And they say, that happened to me too. I've, I've been right through that. That's like, and, and it's, it's I, they're not being discounted because for so long they've been discounted to say, nah, you're just tripping. Nah, the demons are real. Don't discount those that are, are um, in demonic oppression. Pray for them, lay hands on them, encourage them. And if you don't know how, guide them to the right person who can. So I got clean about two years ago. Through this time, I, I, I prayed for my wife, bro. I prayed for her. I prayed for a faithful wife. And I said, Lord, give me a wife that is, loves the things that I love. Give me a wife that... that that um, wants to do the things that I do. Give me a wife that is going to ask me. And um, I got clean four months later. I was in, I was in um, a recovery home. I was in a, not a recovery home, um, like, a, like Tribe, a, a recovery house, right? Mm -hmm. And I got with my wife. Um, I met her, Mariana. Um, we, we, got, we just got to get together. We um, fell in love. Um, and she asked me, she's like, I'll marry you. And I said, what? You'll marry me? We were together like three days. Yeah, I'll marry you. When? She's like, today. So the next day we went and got married. And she was barely like three days sober from, from heroin. She had been a, a heavy heroin addict for years. Um, not a good mom, you know, in and out of, of relationships. And when the Lord gave me that gift, there was a peace that surpassed all our understanding. I knew that I knew. This is the gift that the Lord had given me, and, and I took it. I ran with it. And the Lord taught me how to be a good husband. By my relationship with God and by understanding and reading through his word, he's taught me how to be a good father. And he, he presented me this gift, and I, 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 got, I grabbed a hold of it. And um, 
The only way I can be a good father, the only way I can be a good husband is if I keep my eyes fixed on the Lord. My fulfillment isn't in a relationship. And that's what I've finally learned. My fulfillment isn't in my wife. My fulfillment alone is in Jesus Christ and my relationship with him. My wife compliments me. I have, in these past two years that I've been faithfully married to my wife, I can it makes me proud to say, like, I, I haven't watched no porn. I, I don't lustfully look at women. I, I, I don't masturbate. I am faithful 100% to my wife. And it's, it's beautiful from the lifestyle that I once lived um, to say that. And uh, the only way is, is by keeping my eyes fixed on the Lord. But my wife compliments me because I have done things with my wife that I wouldn't have done on my own. I wouldn't have gotten into the career that I'm at right now. The Lord put me with my wife. Her auntie um, was uh, hiring at the city of Greeley, which I didn't think I was qualified, got me hired on in the city of Greeley. Six months later, um, I got hired on as a supervisor for the city of Greeley, which I didn't think was qualified. I clean the, the police station buildings now. There's, they got guns laying around. They got bullets all over the place. And I'm a felon. I'm a criminal. If you know, they, they saw my criminal history, um, but they let me in, but praise God, God made a way. Um, but that wouldn't have come together if I wouldn't have received that gift from God. I wouldn't be here today speaking to you men right now if I wouldn't have gotten, um, if I wouldn't have accepted that gift from my wife. And the only way that I can stay clean, the only way that I can stay sober is, is by keeping my eyes fixed on God. I took my eyes off God and I stumbled, I fell, I walked through the muck and the mire. So if you're, you're walking through the muck and the mire, stumbling, get your eyes fixed back on the Lord. If, if you don't know him, keep crying out to him. I cried out to him for so long, for so many years. And he heard my cry. He wiped my tears away. And now I have a beautiful song to sing. I have a song to sing that, that, that the Lord loves me. He cares for me. He never left me nor forsake me. I have a beautiful wife that loves me. I have, I'm a faithful father. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching God's word. I'm, I'm encouraging the broken and, and from a life of hopelessness to, to a life of, of, of being used for the kingdom of God is, is just beautiful. And um, I just want to encourage the, the mothers that are out there. Um, I lost my mother. I, my, my mom died in, uh, when I was sober. The Lord gave me a, my wife right when my mother was dying. Three months later, my mom died from cancer. Um, um, it, it, it was just so, so beautiful how the Lord gave me this precious gift right when I needed it. Um, Mothers and fathers, don't give up on your kids. Keep praying for them. Lead them to Christ. Um, Addicts in recovery, you can do it. There's hope. There's life. Um, Recovery is possible. Um, Keep your head up. Don't stop. Don't give up. Cry out to God. Thank you for, thank you for having me. Thank you so much, my man. And praise the Lord. Like I said, there's so many pathways to recovery and I'm I'm so glad the Lord gave you a pathway to recovery. Powerful. You know, um, Mahai, as I said, there are so many pathways to recovery. Yours may not be Roberto's, maybe it is. Um, but most importantly, there is a pathway for you and, and we want you to take that. And I thank you so much this morning uh, for sharing with us here on Sharing Our Stories because um, that was very powerful, man. And, and I look forward to seeing what you continue to do with your life on this path that you're walking because it's, it's a powerful thing and you're, you're inspirational and you said a lot of things that inspire me. And um, thank you. Thank you yeah, so thank much. You. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, 
just like we do on the show, everybody has their pathway. So you can go fully, fully um, <clears throat> on their religious path. So there's a lot of people out there that don't understand recovery that you can follow God. You know, there's celebrate recovery. There's, you know, just getting into the word, you know. Also, at the same time, you know, just getting into recovery, even if you don't have God in front of you, that does not mean that you can't call Amen. and figure out Show how up. to get recovery. Because, <laughs> I mean, just like in his story, Man, I knew exactly who God was. I just didn't like him, and I still needed him. So when I got to the door, you know, my pathway was it is what it is, but it's still I know that I'm not God, and I do need another person to guide me through that recovery journey. And I just really appreciate you knowing you for a long time. When I walked in, I was like, yeah, that's I'm, I'm stout trader. I have to say, yeah, there's one guy that says he's the real Christopher Conway. I know the real, real Christopher Conway. <laughs> Shout out to my mentor, Christopher Conway from Stout Street. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, actually, the, the guy from Springback, when I first started doing Sober Living, uh, that Christopher Conway, amazing gentleman. Springback was great. It, it launched my career. We got great beds. And if you guys don't know what that is, it's basically refurbished mattresses. You can get them cheap, not only for just organizations, for yourself. And it always gives a second chance to people that need it, that have felonies, that can work hard. Yep. And he's got a great mentorship program that sits there and, and the, the the ones that are basically deemed unhirable and undesirable he turns them to hard workers and people sought after after those people and they hire them even more so yep. yeah. real real big shout out to christopher number two and, I, and i'll leave it <laughs> to I'll both leave it christopher conways both christopher conways <laughs> they're, they're both great men but yeah I, I appreciate you coming in on the show um I've watched you work hard for a long time. It's a very big honor and privilege to have your wife and your family and the front lines working with the people that come straight out of jail. She is doing an amazing job. Mariana is something special. Um, And that's the connection I see how you, your wife, your your connection with the Lord and everything, it's uh, very evident and it shows up in every ounce of her work. And we really appreciate you in this community for what you do. Yeah, thank you. There's people in addiction who don't think that – they're ever going to be able to get clean. And then when they do get clean, that they're going to have a job yeah. and be able to be a contributing member of society. And without a doubt, I've, I've met so many people now, including Lo- Ro- Ro- Roberto. You got me rolling my R's here, man. <laughs> um, but so many people. Rolling the R's. Yeah. Puerto Ricans know how to roll them, man. Roll it. I'm rolling it. Right. Rolling it. <laughs> but um, I've met so many people now who have become a contributing member of society. So don't ever doubt yourself that you can have a, a fantastic job that does great things. Um, Mahai, if you, a family member, a friend needs to pick up the phone and start that process of finding where your recovery begins, call Tribe Recovery Home, 720-60-TRIBE. That's 60-T-R-I-B-E. And um, ask for some help. And if they can't help you, they're going to point you in the direction of somebody can. Maybe it's South Street. Maybe it's Step Denver. Uh, maybe it's Hazelbrook. It, there's so many places. You can call AA. You can call NA. You can simply grab your phone and Google AA. Google NA. You're going to find a meeting going on today. Yeah. There is a meeting every single day. Absolutely. And then also NAMI. There's a suicide hotline. It's been hard lately. I've been watching a lot of people hurt themselves and, and take their own lives. So no that there's a suicide hotline out there. If you're feeling that way, definitely right now, call somebody this morning, tonight, whenever you feel that way. Because mental health is a big part of recovery. And we've lost a lot of good people from confusion and taking their own life. So please look up NAMI. 
Make sure that you see that suicide hotline. We just lost another one yesterday that was a friend in recovery and took her own life. So please keep your mental health straight. Our guest today, Roberto Valdez (laughs) from Fort Lupton. My friend, it is an honor to have you here with us. Malhai, this is Sharing Our Stories. You can catch this program on our Facebook page. You can uh, see it at jammin1015.com and flowdenver.com and uh, we also have a YouTube page and uh, we're here every Sunday morning on your radio at jammin1015 and flow1071 beginning at 7am if you tuned in halfway through this and you're like I gotta catch it from the beginning go to our website and you'll be able to catch this from the beginning thank you to Roberto for being here and thank you for giving us your time here on sharing our stories